0: Thank you, Betty. And thank you, David, too. Uh, Bart is, uh, I know he was off doing a wedding and uh, taking a little bit of a break to give himself a a rest. And we do appreciate, David, you stepping in. And uh, Betty, thank you for that message. This morning, we're going to uh, do our best to try to finish up the book of James. So if you'll open your Bibles to chapter 5, the final chapter. In the book of James, we're going to pick up in verse 13 and try to dash all the way through the end of the chapter. So verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed." The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's rather obvious that this final section of this letter to the churches that James wrote to these churches scattered about the land outside of Jerusalem is focused on prayer. James is calling them to pray uh, Will discover that he's calling them first to personal prayer. That's prayer for oneself, by oneself. He's also calling them to pray in small groups, uh, to gather around you a small group of committed believers. And he's also calling for communal prayer, praying for one another as a congregation, as a community of Christians, a community that shares in life's. Struggles and life's treasures. And he's calling them to take care for one another, especially in regard to the living out of our faith. Many people are familiar with James' statement regarding faith and works from earlier in the, this book when he says, faith without works is dead. James uses the example there of a, of a brother who is in need of, of clothing and food and he goes to a, a fellow brother and he, he, he asks him to, for help and uh, you know, James makes a point there too that it is two brothers coming together, two fellow believers coming together and I think the implication there is that they would have known each other perhaps and would have recognized that this was a, a genuine need But the brother responds with a rather pious go, be warmed and be fed. He doesn't attend to the physical needs. And James says basically, what use is that? But what I want you to think about there, uh, you know, James James says, just as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is also dead. I bring this passage up really just as an introductory point. I find it interesting that not only doesn't he provide what was necessary for the body, but this fellow brother doesn't even provide what is necessary for the soul. He didn't even offer to pray for or with that needy brother. So let's suppose that the need is so great, that a brother comes to you and you know you cannot meet that need that the other brother has. I tell you, the work of faith is prayer. I've seen it over and over again, a need is recognized. Someone comes with a need, it's, it's a recognized need. It's, it's evident that the need is real, but the need is so great that, that one person can't meet it. That, that they come and, and we just don't even have a clue how to meet that need. So what should we do? We should pray. Pray with that person. Pray earnestly for that need. But then I warn you, be ready. Because often in those times of prayer is how God shows you how you can be part of meeting that need. Often in a way that we couldn't have anticipated. And sometimes... In a way that we wouldn't have expected. So those times when a genuine need is presented. And we don't know what to do. Pray. Offer a prayer in faith and listen and watch. But as I said be prepared. Because the Lord may want you to be part of his provision. Now with that just kind of introductory. Let's get on with these verses beginning in verse 13 of chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. This suffering is the same type of suffering as referred to up in verse 10, the suffering of the prophets. It's suffering caused by the ill treatment of others. It's the suffering from persecution, from oppression, uh, from the unethical treatment that James has outlined above Uh, when he's speaking so harshly about the rich and the comfortable who abuse their employees and, and utilize unethical business practices. It's the suffering that we experience trying to live righteous lives in a fallen world. When honesty seems to cause more trouble than deception. When others malign your name and your reputation. It's in fact a rather general term which which covers all kinds of complaints and James tells us how to handle it. We are to pray. Note the imperative there. He says we must pray and the sense of it is that we must pray and continue to pray. Why pray when we're suffering? Because as verse 11 tells us, The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. You know, the singing praises, this is is also a form of prayer. This is on the flip side of those suffering. When you're cheerful, you're to sing praises. You know, I heard of a, a Sunday school teacher who, who often in a, in a children's class with the, the little ones who likes to start the Sunday school class with prayer requests and ask the kids if they have any prayer requests. Well when one of them opens those prayer requests with something like we got a new puppy that teacher is wise enough to turn that prayer request into a praise request and turn that into a, a prayer of praise, when that child is cheerful and they want to praise. We need to be teaching praise and prayer. Too often we only think of praying for intercession for God to do something. We need to remember to pray, to sing praises for what God has done and is doing. This question, is anyone cheerful? It isn't Speaking of just momentary happiness, but a disposition of joy and cheerfulness. You know those people who, who, who are like that and they just bring a smile into the room just when they walk in. They just lift everyone's spirits. They have a way of making the rest of us more cheerful. I think the next time that Ray Engel walks into my office, I'm just going to start singing the doxology You know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Why are we to sing praises, to pray praises when we're cheerful? Because it's true, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. This verse on prayer, that verse 13, focuses on the individual. But let's not forget that each one of us is part of the same body of Christ. And we're told that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us is cheerful, we all are to rejoice. The truth is the Christian life is a mixture of suffering and cheerfulness. So our prayers are often a mixture of petition and praise. Sometimes they're so closely related That we find ourselves weeping in the midst of praise and praising in the midst of suffering. Somehow I think that's part of the image of God within us. Think of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Verse 14 Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. These are the most difficult verses in this section. They're very easily misinterpreted, very easily misapplied and misused leading to much confusion. Some commentators say that the word translated sick here doesn't necessarily mean physical sickness although even they typically say that it does include that. There is general agreement that it at least means physically weak. Perhaps beaten down by this suffering but I think the most natural reading would be that it means sick. We all know that emotional and spiritual suffering does have physical effects as well. So perhaps that's the primary meaning here. It's the, it is in the context of this passage, and I, I think that makes really the most sense. Because if you look and you note the sick person is to call for the elders of the church. Not go to the elders. I think that implies that these individuals were unable to join in the fellowship of the church. They were unable to, to be part of congregational prayer and worship. They were, for whatever reason, be it physical or emotional, they had become isolated from the church. We might think of some of the homebound today, but again, look at the imperative. They must call for the elders of the church. Rather than remaining isolated and shut out from from the congregation, and rather than shutting out these spiritually uh, mature prayer warriors in the church there to call for them and invite them to come over and pray with them. This was not only a, 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 of, of gaining the prayers of the elders, but it, it meant maintaining a connection with the church, remaining connected to the body of Christ so that when you find yourself uh, beginning to be beaten down by the world, tempted to, to withdraw from the fellowship, that's the time to call out for prayer warriors to come and pray with you and restore you so that you can be restored to the, to the fellowship, to the power of the community of Christ. there to pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord that's another one of those what in the world does that one mean does this mean that every time the brother John or Mike or Jeff or whoever comes to visit you in the hospital or at home when you're when you're sick or or recovering we should bring a bottle of olive oil and pour it over your head when we pray with you I, no i don't think so but it literally reads having oiled them to pray over them having oiled them and it's a word that's different from the word that's used for the ceremonial anointing of a king or a priest so it's a different word altogether tip really meaning oiling them Uh, you have to remember though that oil in the the first century, was used medicinally. It was a way of of offering uh, comfort and healing. It was also a symbol of the presence and the approval of God. So I think the best way to understand this is to think of it uh, as helping to make sure that they're taken care of medically. And reminding them of the presence of God when we are there to pray over them. Reminding them the reality that the Lord is the great physician, that sometimes He he uses our doctors and our medical professionals as instruments of His healing. But it is the Lord who is the one who heals. But if you want to be oiled and prayed over, go ahead and ask. It shall be done. By John. (laughs) Notice the result. The prayer offered in faith. The prayer offered in faith. That's a contrast to to those uh, earlier when when James writes about uh, those who are double minded in their prayer. These are prayers offered in faith without doubting. And it says they will save. Some translations say they will restore. Some say they will heal. Different translations have used a, a different words there. The Greek word really most often translated as save. That's one of the reasons that many think that this isn't specifically talking about physical healing. But whether James is talking about physical healing or not the main point here is the prayer is offered in faith it'll have its effect and the Lord will raise that person up and forgive his sins remember the story of the paralytic Jesus says which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. You see, God's primary concern isn't with our physical health. It's our spiritual condition. Sometimes He chooses to heal in this life, And other times that healing will only come at the final resurrection as the Lord raises up his children to perfection and eternity in his presence. For that is certain for his children. Our sins are forgiven and we will be raised up by the Lord. So is it only the elders who should be praying for others? No, look down at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit Here it is, we've we've seen that we are to pray for ourselves. We're seeing that we're to gather together and gather others around us in small, intimate groups of intense prayer. And here it is, the whole congregation is to be praying for one another. We are to confess our sins to one another. Notice this doesn't say that we're to confess our sins to everybody. Public prayer time is not the time to confess private sins. It's not the place for personal confession unless that sin has affected the whole congregation. But we are to confess our sins in order to restore relationships. See, that's the point of confession, first and foremost, with God. Sin damages our relationship with God. J, uh, 1 John 1, 1.9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is the step toward reconciliation, first with God, but also with others, sin damages our relationships within the church. Matthew 5:23 and 24 tells us, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. How do we reconcile with our brothers and sisters in Christ? We confess our sins one to another. And we pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that that relationship can be healed. So that the the emotional and spiritual brokenness can be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again. And the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. The the point in all of that example... That illustration of effective prayer, of effective prayer, that illustration of the the, the results of a righteous man praying effectively. The whole point of that is that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know, we hold up as examples sometimes in our own minds people who we know are prayer warriors. And we think, boy, if if they will just pray for me, it'll be more effective. Each of us are prayer warriors. Some are more practiced. And would you like to be like one of those prayer warriors that we look to? Then pray. Just like everything else, you get better with practice. Just pray. Verse 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Remember, James is here again speaking to the believers, to the congregation, and he's encouraging them to keep watch for one another. To be on the lookout for a brother or sister who is straying from the truth. You know, we we don't often go from being a a faithful believer uh, to being completely separated from the body of Christ, usually in one big step. We usually stray away a little at a time. Uh, When I was in seminary at Southwestern Seminary, there was a a student there, a fellow student there who, and I can't remember which, he was from one of the Balkan countries, and he was actually raised as a shepherd in the, in the old ways of taking the sheep out and, and being with the sheep 24-7 for the certain period, and we were talking about this tendency that we have as, as the, the believers to stray away, and he said, well, we are like sheep. And, and he said, sheep, get out. And he said, they don't, they don't run away from the flock. He said, but what they do is they, they look down, they see a, a piece of grass over here that they want, and they move over there and they get it. And then they see another one over here and they go for it. And he said, next thing you know, they've nibbled their way around on the other side of the hill and they're completely lost. He says, we, like sheep, go astray. We, we, we start out with those those little steps of of rebellion, that, that, that little sin that we just don't think much of. And we step further and further away until we find ourselves no longer in fellowship with our fellow believers. We find ourselves with a damaged relationship with God. We, like sheep, go astray and, and and this James is calling us here to pay attention to one another. As we confess our sins to one another, that is that point where we can encourage one another and hold one another accountable and and, and responsive to the to to be part of the fellowship. That's your responsibility. How do you keep yourself from from nibbling away and finding yourself back on the wrong side of the hill? It's to be honest with God and with yourself. Confess the little sins before you, you get too far away. Before you feel unworthy. Before you feel ashamed. Again, this isn't a confession to be made in a public prayer time but to confess our sins one to another oh and what a what a wonderful joy it is it's to help bring a brother and sister back into the fellowship james is telling us to go after the strays to prevent one another from nibbling their selves away, it's up to us to do all we can to keep each other in the safety of the flock. You know, a whole flock of sheep, they're not really much at risk, but when one strays and gets away, that's the one that's in great risk. Not only are we called to make disciples, we are also called to encourage one another, to pray for one another, and to keep watch over one another. The challenge that James lays out for us here is to be prayerful for yourself. To be prayerful in a small group of committed believers, ones that you can trust to share and to confess your sin and to be part of the, the whole congregation, caring for one another and watching out for one another to restore those who begin to stray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Brother James has laid out a, a challenge for us. Lord, if we first come and confess to you, Lord, that we just are, are unworthy even of the challenge. Oh, but Father, you tell us that with you we can do anything. And we pray, Lord, for the insight, for the wisdom, for the, the godly wisdom as opposed to the worldly wisdom. Lord, give us that godly wisdom to see those who are beginning to nibble themselves away. Give us the words, Lord, to help to restore them. Lord, give us a passion for prayer. Give us a true love for you and for one another. In Christ's name, amen. You know, we've often uh, challenged this church to be a a church of prayer. Uh, You know, there are many opportunities for prayer here. We have a, a group of men that meet at 6.30 on Tuesday mornings in the kitchen. I know there's a group of ladies that meet Tuesday evening for prayer in, the, in Martha Beckett's class. I know on Wednesday night we meet here for prayer and there's prayer going on elsewhere. I know that in our Sunday school classes we pray. I know that in our services we pray. James has challenged us Stephen, raise that another step. Pray for yourselves, pray for one another, pray for your church, pray for those that are drifting, pray for those that are strong. Effective prayer of the righteous avails much. The Lord's calling you today to respond to something in your life, whether it's to join in fellowship with this body, whether it's to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior for the very first time, whether there's someone in this room that you need to go and, and pray with, please respond as the Lord leads you as we sing. Let's stand now and sing our hymn of invitation.